We live, we love, we serve. This theme for this year, these bands you wear, may be the most important theme or mantra we've had in my years here. In many ways, it is a, a culmination of what is going on in my 20 years here. Many years ago, when God was doing things within me, pressing me about the kind of preacher and teacher I would be, the one thing that became very clear is that part of the biggest problem of Christians and Christianity is that we oftentimes are guided by ceremonies and rituals. In fact, when you read the Old Testament in God's word through Prophet Amos, God said, I'm not impressed with your ceremonies, I'm not impressed with your rituals. Sometimes we invest more in our practices than we do understanding who we're called to be. And I understood that many years ago, and part of the work I've been doing for now, going on 28 years as a pastor, has been helping those who God has put before me to understand that our primary call is to be disciples. This scripture that will guide us for this year, and I'll preach from tonight, Matthew 28, it's a very profound passage of scripture. It is considered by many the Great Commission. It is Jesus telling the disciples what he wants them to do, the work he's calling them to do. It's the work that Jesus is still calling us to do. We are in an age and in a time where I'm convinced that disciples are going to be the ones to lead the way, to point to a different future, to point to new possibilities. Those who believe in the teachings of Jesus have to do it. It is not enough to show up to church as part of some weekly ritual, for it is not about where you go, it is how you show up in life. It is the life you choose to live. That is why we say we are called to live the lives we've been created to live. And there's so many people who are waiting on you, waiting on me, waiting on us to fully grasp what it means to be a human being dedicated to these teachings. There's too much war in this world right now. Too many civilians have died in, the, in the Gaza, even now, and in Jerusalem. And too many people are suffering in this world, so much so that we've become almost deaf to the cries of those who cry out. So much pain that we are not even moved when we see children hungry in other parts of the world. We just assume since that's not us and we're not there, that that's not our business. That is far from the truth. Those who follow the teachings of Jesus have an obligation to show another way of showing up in this world. Another way of operating in this world. That is who we're called to be. That is what we're called to do. It's not about going to church. It's not about making sure you can put on your Sunday best. 
It's really about a heart that has been transformed by the power of love. Sharing that to the world. When you say, I am a disciple, and throughout this year we'll learn even more of what that means, it's not just about who you are, it's really who we are not as well. In this commission of Jesus, he said to all of us who claim to be disciples, go make disciples. Jesus did not say big, build big cathedrals. He didn't say go make Christians. He said make disciples. Make disciples. And that's the work we are called to do. So do me a favor, stand with me on today. Turn with me to our scripture for the year. Matthew 28. Verses 19 through 20. I, I do have to say this. because I've gotten so many uh, messages this week. Ask me, Pastor, are we going to count down to the new year? Because every year you preach through the new year. So y'all going to get y'all wish tonight. Right? We're going to. We're going to count down and bring in a new year, if it be God's will. <laughs> Matthew 28, uh, verse 19 and 20. I'm going to read in the New Revised Standard Version and then in the Message Bible. Here's how it reads in the New Revised, New Revised Standard Version. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. And then, in the Message Bible, this is how it reads, Go out and train everyone you meet, far and near, in this way of life marking them by baptism in the threefold name, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Then instruct them in the practice of all, somebody say all, I have commanded you. I'll be with you as you do this day after day after day, right up to the end of the age. Come on, let's pray. God, we stand approaching the end of another year. The truth is, oh God, all of us in here tonight can say that we've made it by your grace. We've made it with your love. We made it by your mercy. There were times, oh God, in the course of this year when some of us weren't sure if we would see this day. But we stand tonight as living witnesses that your love still covers 
a multitude of our misgivings. God, from the depth of our heart, we say thank you. God, as we stand at the close of one year, we also stand with expectancy. In the new year dawning, God, God, this new year, don't do just what we ask. Because the truth is, oh God, we don't always know what we need. But God, do whatever you need to do to get the glory in us through us, with us, for us, oh God. We thank you. We honor you. God, if we had 10,000 tongues, it wouldn't be enough to express our gratitude. How do we say thank you for keeping us through the insanity? How do we say thank you for those days when we were ready to give up? How do we say thank you the moment, so oh God, where we were willing to live beneath our calling and assignments. But God, you met us in the broken place. And you've restored us. We say thank you. Thank you. Now, God, let your word do its own work. We'll get out of the way. We'll attend to our task. That is to let you be God all by yourself. We thank you, God. We honor you, Lord. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Remain standing with me. Let me read those two verses in the NRSV and message again. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit spirit and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. Message Bible says, reads this way, go out and train everyone you meet far and near in this way of life, making them, marking them by baptism in the threefold name, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Then instruct them in the practice of all I have commanded you I'll be with you as you do this day after day after day, right up to the end of the age. Amen. Do me a favor. Just turn to your neighbor and tell him, neighbor, I am a disciple. Come on, turn to the other neighbor. Tell him, neighbor, I am a disciple. Now put your hands together and give the Lord a hand clap of praise. Sometimes, in order to ignite your life, it may only take one word. The longer I journey with God, it has often struck me as amazing the time and the ways that God has caused me to galvanize my own strength, my own resources to honor the assignments that God places before me. 
doesn't always take much. When you think about your experience with God, some of those most transformative moments with God have come sometimes with a spark that you didn't see coming. Sometimes with the words you did not anticipate. But knowing full well that our responsibility when we hear that word, when we get that spark from God, is to simply fall in alignment with our own obedience. The disciples found themselves in this scene on the mountain again with Jesus. We read the Gospel of Matthew, and we'll be going through this over the year, is what is known as the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus calls his disciples up to the mountainside. And here in Matthew 28, they meet Jesus again in the mountain, and they were told to go there by word from the women and simply said, go to Galilee and meet Jesus there. This was after the resurrection. This is the directive given in the Gospel of Matthew by the women to the disciples, go and meet Jesus. That word go is not just an igniting word for them, but it is an igniting word for their mission. Go. When they meet Jesus there on the mountain, Jesus gives them simple directions. And those directions begin with the word go. Go and make disciples of all nations. Baptize them and teach them. And here's the key. In some translations it says commandment, but it says, teach them, here's Jesus saying it, what I taught you. Go, go, go. It, Jesus doesn't say sit or stay or get comfortable. Go. Go without clarity about even where you're going. Go without certainty that anyone will even pay attention to you. Go with no guarantee of safety or protection. Go. That's the word they get from Jesus. And it is the word that still is relevant in this moment. Go. Go and carry this message. Carry these teachings. Go and make disciples. Go yet again into unfamiliar spaces, unfamiliar places. Go, not worried about what your qualifications are, not worried about how people will view you, not consumed with whether you'll be validated or affirmed. Go, not fixated on who will honor you or who will help you or who will be there for you. Go, go with no guarantees, go with no protection, go. And in one verse in Luke, Jesus reminds them, I send you out like lambs for the slaughter. And when you go to the slaughter, take nothing with you. Take nothing that can make you feel better about yourself. Take nothing that can make you feel safe. Go like a lamb to the slaughter. Go and honor what God is calling you to do. It ought to scare you. It ought to terrify you. 
to think that when Jesus sends them out, he doesn't tell them to let anybody know first. Go home and let them know what you're about to do. He doesn't let them know that you ought to follow some kind of family protocol before you make this move. No, the word is go, not wait, not pause. Move from where you are. And honor what God is seeking to do in your life. Go unqualified by the world's standards. Unlearned, unlettered, uneducated, misfits and outcasts who've been ostracized by people, mocked and made fun of. This is who Jesus entrusts this assignment with. Go. And here's the powerful thing. Make disciples. Oh, God. Go and make disciples, but they are disciples. Yes, go and replicate yourself. Go and make disciples because, beloved, they're not born. They're made. That means there's something that has to happen that occupies a space of transformation in their life. Go and make disciples. I hope you get this today. Go and make disciples. Make disciples. Make disciples. Disciples is a fancy word for students. You are students. Go make more students. He didn't say go make more teachers because teachers assume you've already arrived in some way. He said go make students because in this journey you'll always be learning. Go make disciples. You never get to a place where you think you've learned it all, heard it all, got it all. Go and make disciples. He's talking to these persons, these persons who've begin, been rejected, who've been outcast, and he says, go replicate yourself. Go make more just like you. I hope you get that part. Unqualified, nothing special, nothing significant, and go and make disciples. That's the word that Jesus is giving to them, and look who he's telling to replicate themselves. Not perfect, far from it. They don't have it all together, far from it. They're not the people you would think some people would choose with such a great responsibility, but Jesus trusts them. Can you imagine that here we stand in this moment as a continuation of those disciples who stand in the same position, who are being told the same thing even today? Go and make disciples. Yes, you are unqualified, but go make disciples. And yes, you got issues, but go make disciples. This ought to help somebody today because there's some people who make you believe that somehow being a disciple is connected to some idea of perfection, that being a disciple is connected to being a person who makes no mistakes, who, who doesn't always or doesn't, doesn't, doesn't give in to their misgivings, but these are not the people who Jesus entrusts the assignment with. I wish they were better people, and I wish they had it all together, and I wish they didn't have issues, and I wish they didn't have struggles, and I wish they were better, and I wish they were well-adjusted, and I wish they had no mental health issues, and I wish they never had depression, and I wish they never had anxiety. I wish they were all okay, but that is not who Jesus entrusts this assignment to. They're broken, they're wounded, they're damaged, they're hurting, they're struggling, they look like you and I. And Jesus entrusts this sacred assignment to people who are fragile and learning how to navigate the contours of their own pain. And he says, I trust you with this assignment. Don't you let anybody make you believe that somehow you are disqualified because other people think you can't be trusted. Don't let other people 
will make you believe that somehow you're not worthy of this sacred assignment because they know some things about you. In fact, tell them, you can learn as much as you want about me. You can learn about my past. You can learn about my struggles. You can learn about my addictions. But guess what? God knows all of that, and God still trusts me. I hope somebody gets this tonight. Look at somebody tell them, God still trusts me. That's what makes me energized in this journey because God still trusts me. Knowing who I am, you missed that. Knowing who I am, knowing who I am, not the me that I try to put in front of you so you never get to me, not the me I fabricate to make you feel comfortable with me. God knows my mess. God knows my struggles. God knows my indiscretions and still trust me. Look at somebody tell him he trusts me. Oh God, can you imagine? He trusts you. He trusts you. That would be one thing, but he said, go make folk like you. Oh gosh. But here's the thing. Make more messy people? No. No. Because that's not all of your story. Oh, I hope you heard that too. Because people know your flaws. Don't give them the satisfaction of thinking. They know the whole you. No. I'm bigger than my flaws. And guess what? I'm also bigger than the things you don't like about me. Oh, I hope you get that. And because I'm bigger than the things you don't like about me, it is not simply my flaws that God sees. If God only saw my flaws, I don't know if God would trust me. But God sees the me that I don't even see. God doesn't just trust me because of what I've done. God trusts me because of what God is about to do with me. Well, I hope you hear that today. Because it's not always about how you've fallen. It's about how God has picked you up and then giving you assignment oh my god i love that pastor trey how god sees me fall picks me up and then says i got an assignment for you you get that no you missed it god sees me fall picks me up and then says i got an assignment okay over here you didn't get that god sees me fall picks me up and then says i got an assignment no 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 god sees me fall picks me up and doesn't say get your act together no he doesn't say get your life together he says no i got an assignment for you even when i saw you fall and i saw you mess up and i saw you broken still trust me tell somebody he trusts me oh god go and make disciples and guess what everybody you meet ain't ready so don't feel you got to force it on anybody. No, if God didn't bully God's way into your life, don't you try to bully your way into anybody else's life. Uh-uh. No. Because I take that teaching seriously. Again, in the Gospel of Luke, Jesus made it clear. If you go somewhere and they don't receive you, don't sit around trying to make somebody like you. If they don't receive you, don't sit around trying to get on their good side. They don't have a good side if they don't see who you really are. 
don't sit there and waste your time trying to make folk like you. No. He said, shake them like dust off your feet and keep on moving. Why? Because he got work for you to do. And you can't waste time convincing unconvinced people who ain't even convinced about their own selves, let alone be convinced about you. Hold on. Hold on, hold on, Marquise. Here it is. Why would I waste my time trying to convince you of who God sees me to be if you still haven't developed the eyesight enough to see yourself? Hold on. If you can't see you, you'll never see me. So look at what I'm wasting trying to get you to see me, but you can't see you. No. Uh uh. Uh uh. That maybe you need to remove that spiritual cataracts on your eye so that you can begin to see yourself the way God sees you. Oh my goodness. Go make disciples. How do you make them, Jesus? I'm glad you asked. One, baptize them. Oh God. Well, there's two things to this. I want to just share. And I, hey, we close. And, 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 and um, we go through the act of baptism. Baptism is a sacrament. It is an outward and visible sign of an inward and spiritual grace. But it's also a sign of belonging. That when you go through the rite of baptism, you are saying you belong to a community that is bigger than you. That you are part of something that connects you, in this case, to divine power and authority and confidence. That you are part of something that is really part of who you are. That, that, that deep belonging you have is called that longing to belong that you possess. And we all have it. I know we all do. Because all of us try to belong somewhere. And sometimes we end up trying to belong in spaces and places that are not good for us. And we try to belong in spaces and places that are not healthy for us. Because somehow we believe that belonging to this space and this place will make me better. No, don't get so desperate that you don't see danger. Oh, God, don't, 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 don't be so desperate for belonging that you don't see the danger in certain spaces. Your desperation can't outweigh your discernment. Oh, God. If, you're, if your desperation outweighs your discernment, you can't recognize dysfunction or danger. Oh, God, I hope you got that. You can't allow your desperation to lead your path and guide your footsteps because desperation is born of a place of deep longing, but the deep longing is connected to your feelings of inadequacy and inferiority. And so the desperation can come because you think you need something that will make you more of who you are and not realize that God already made you everything you need to be. No, I'll never be so desperate that I miss me. You'll get that later on. I'll never be so desperate that I miss me. Well, hold on. Desperate missing me trying to get you. Wait a minute. That didn't make sense. Desperate and miss me while trying to get you. So I'd rather have you and miss me. But if I have you and miss me, I really have nothing. 
That's why some of us walk around empty-handed because we're missing ourselves and desiring to replace ourselves and the longing for ourselves with other people, spaces, and places that actually contribute to our dysfunction, our downfall, our danger, and sometimes emotional, spiritual, and physical dis-ease. Uh-uh. Belonging to this state means that you are connected to the galvanizing source of the universe. Belonging to this movement says that you stand in a countercultural movement that is antithetical to power, oppression, and domination. When you are part of this thing, you are saying, I belong to this Jesus movement. I am one of the Jesus persons, part of the Jesus people who understand what it means to stand in solidarity with those who are overlooked by most people in society. You can't be aligned with this movement looking down your nose at other people that you think are inadequate. You can't be aligned with this movement and think that somehow your God-given position or your sanctified position or your glorified position gives you the right to think you can lord it over anybody. No, no. You are not part of a movement that says that somehow the more power you possess, the more person you are. No, no, no. You are part of a movement that says power in God's eyes is not about exercising your domination over another human being, but power is showing how much you can give to somebody who stands in a moment of need. Well, that's one notion of baptism, Vic. But you see, here's the problem. Let me get a little, act like I went to school for a second, just two seconds. See, when we see the word in the scriptures, baptism, we've done a, not translation, it's called a transliteration. The word in the Greek is baptisma, and then we turn it into baptism. And we think we say baptism, we simply think about the pool being dipped and that's it. No. But, but there's a writer, J.D. Myers, who gives another possibility of Jesus saying here. Because he does a translation, not a transliteration. Remember, we get baptisma in the Greek, we say baptism. But the translation of baptisma means immerse. Hold on. Hold on. Now, again, not necessarily thinking about the water, Joyce. But maybe Jesus is also saying, not only the act of identification, but maybe as you make disciples, make sure they're immersed in this movement that everything that I teach you comes saturating through their pores, that, that, that you seek to immerse people in this way of life, that you seek to immerse people in this particular mo movement, that you seek to immerse people in the ways of the carpenter. That's maybe what he's saying, that you should be thoroughly immersed in order to immerse people. Oh, hold on. Go make disciples baptize them one let them know they belong and are immersed in this movement and then here's the key and i'll be done teach them what i taught you and there is the issue jesus doesn't say teach them what others have created about me Teach them the doctrines that other people have formed about me. Teach them what I taught you. Not teach them what other people have created to feel comfortable about their own feelings of inferiority. Teach them what I taught you. Not doctrines that are laced with human beings' desire to be superior over other human beings. Teach them what I taught you you 
Not the things we mask as doctrines shaped by dogma that are disconnected from what Jesus was doing. Teach them what I taught you. So if you're a disciple, this time it is to teach what Jesus taught. Not what somebody told you about Jesus. Teach what Jesus taught. It's right there. And I don't know why this is so hard for people who claim to be Christians. This is why I tell folk all the time. If you look at people who claim to be Christian, who are at the head of dysfunction and hate and mean-spiritedness and violence, I promise you, they may be teaching something, but it ain't what Jesus taught. Teach what I taught you. But in order to do that, you got to know what Jesus taught. He did not teach about religion. Oh, whoa. He was teaching about how you show up in this world. He was teaching a way of being in this world, guided and shaped by love. How you can wish hate for me in Jesus' name? How can you hope for harm for me in Jesus' name? How can you want to kill someone, hurt someone, because they're different from you in Jesus' name? Teach what I taught you. Not even what Paul said. What I taught you. Because when you do this work as a disciple, you can't use the shortcomings of surrogates. You'll get that later. Teach what I taught you. And here's the thing. This is why Jesus' teaching is so profound. They're not shaped by having the right words. They're shaped by having the right action. Oh, hold on. Oh, you missed that. I'm going to give you an example. Now I'm going to get out your way. Because I got a whole year to talk about this. I went to 7-Eleven the other day. Now, I don't know if one of those old gods was from my mother, but my mother could tell you. When I was a kid, we lived near 7-Eleven, and she used to fuss at me so much because I would go on 7-Eleven as a kid and get a big gulp. Yeah. You know, in a way that only mothers can tell you, I just get big gulps and slurps all the time. When she said, you're going to turn into a big gulp. <laughs> I love 7-Eleven to this day. You know, 7-Eleven. I went to 7-Eleven the other day, the one that I'm, I usually go to. There was a brother standing outside. I've seen him from time to time, and I don't want to make any assumptions about whether he was homeless or not, but I see him all the time. And he's never asked me for anything, never even had a conversation. And the deep thing is I've seen him ask other people for a dollar of money to get coffee. This is just this week. So I'm walking to 7-Eleven. I come out of 7-Eleven. And then he comes to me and says, will you confess the Lord Jesus Christ? And I, and I said, why are you asking me that? I just want to know, can you confess the Lord Jesus Christ, can you confess Jesus is your Lord? 
I said, why? Because, it, well, if you, if you believe Jesus is Lord, you, you shouldn't be afraid to confess Jesus is Lord. Now, here's the problem. First, because the story gets, goes on. This is a strategy that many Christians use. You begin with gross assumption and not gentle conversation. He didn't ask me if I, if I believed in Jesus necessarily. Will you confess? And I said, I won't confess before you. Because you have no authority over me. He said, well, that must mean you don't believe in Jesus. I said, no. I said, actually. I said, I, I've been preaching for 33 years. I've been a pastor for 28 years. He didn't believe me. Thank God for technology and Instagram. I pulled it out. I went to Instagram. I said, that's me. He wouldn't let it go. He said, if that's you, why do you have a problem confessing Jesus is Lord. I said, where are you getting this technique from? <laughs> this can't be from Jesus. I said, what scriptures are you getting this strategy from? Man, he went, he took me to Old Testament. He skipped over the gospel. Went to Paul, started hitting me with all these scriptures. I said, well, okay, good. What does Jesus say? He had no answer. Then I start taking him through Jesus scriptures. And he says to me, I just want to know <laughs> if you'll confess Jesus is Lord. I said, I'm not. He then said, you're a bad preacher. I said, I'm fine with that. Have a nice day. <laughs> now, let me tell you what, why this is a problem. Jesus said that you know a tree not by what the tree tells you, but by the fruit that a tree bears. He would have been more comfortable probably if I told him what kind of tree I was. That would have been a confessional versus seeing my fruit. He wasn't willing to enter a relationship to see my fruit. He just wanted to hear the right words. But you see, I've been doing this long enough to know that people can have the right raw words and the wrong fruit. And you're going to get that. This movement is not about whether you got the right words. It's whether you got the right fruit. Because the fruit determines the tree. The tree doesn't profess what kind of tree it is. In fact, the tree doesn't say nothing. It just produces. The tree don't look around trying to convince people of who it is. The tree doesn't tell people what it is. You know the kind of tree it is by the fruit it bears. But you see in this, this Christianity that I am a part of, there are people who think that if you confess the right tree, the fruit don't matter. If you got the right words, the fruit don't matter. 
A whole lot of folk will come and ask you to say the right words. Confess Jesus as Lord. Do you accept Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior and don't care about the fruit? And they feel when you say the right words, they put a notch in their belt, feel that they converted one more. No, you convince somebody to say the right words, but you didn't convince people to change their life in a way that their fruit looks different. Well, I hope you get this today. Jesus' teachings is not about whether you got the right words, it's whether you got the right fruit. Does your life reflect that God is doing something profound in a way that people can feel God moving through you because of how you show up in the world? Is your discipleship more important than your Christianity? Make disciples baptize teach them what i taught you because if you listen to the teachings of jesus beloved and it reaches down in your spirit you don't just talk different in fact you don't even have to say much people begin to see what god is doing in your life by the way you show up in this life that's what it means to be a disciple a disciple can show and bear good fruit because they know certain things and their knowledge does not come just because they have the right words. Their knowledge comes because they have experiences rooted in who they claim to be. You are a disciple and your discipleship is not measured by whether you got the right things. You know how to do this on the cue and say this word right. Whether you got all the churchy phrases because you can be around the right people and get all the churchy phrases. That don't mean you had a deep transformation. And that's what we're missing now. We measure people by means that are not connected to Jesus' teachings. We walk around and somebody sings good. They say, well, they're anointed. Well, wait a minute. Wait a minute. When I read in the scriptures, anointing ain't to sing. Anointing is to lead. And the only ones anointed were those with an assignment to lead people. But we use these catchphrases in church and we all agree to them because we hear them and we think somehow when we use the catchphrases, then we're closer to God. No! Show me your fruit. Show me when somebody was hungry. You gave them something to eat. And you didn't go to the hungry person and ask them, can you confess Jesus as Lord? When somebody was thirsty, show me you gave them something to drink. You try to pull scriptures out the Bible and feed it to them. When somebody's a stranger, show me how you make them feel comfortable in your presence. When somebody's sick, show me how you show up at the hospital to see how they're doing. When somebody's in prison, show me how you go visit a prison. When somebody's in need, show me what you do. Don't tell me what you're going to say. The teachings of Jesus are rooted in grand practice connected to an abiding love, beloved. I know some of y'all might have come here looking to get your praise and shout on. Nah. I want to make sure you understand that this year, a decision got to be made. That this year, you got to take a chance and make a choice. You can continue to show up and be part of the crowd because when you read the scriptures, the crowd was always there because people love seeing nice tricks. But will you take the next step and be 
a disciple. Because that's what Jesus is waiting for. Let 2024 be the year you take another step in your journey. Let it be more than just coming here on Sunday or streaming on Sunday. Let it seep into your heart and show up in how you treat people. You can't be part of this movement and say things like, well, that's just who I am. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. Can I tell you something? When, when Jesus said, make disciples, can I give you this? Disciples are always evolving. In fact, this may sound familiar. They're ever evolving. They realize that becoming is a constant process. You're always becoming. You are always becoming. Can I drop this in your spirit? You are always becoming and arrivals are illusions. You are always on your way. Always shifting, always changing. Because that's what life is about. Growth and change and transformation. You can't be on this journey and two, three years in this journey. People still don't see the shift. They should not only see it, but they should feel it. Do you understand? When you enter the atmosphere, things begin to shift. When you walk in a room, people who are looking for the familiar and the old you should feel uncomfortable. And you don't have to tell nobody anything. You don't have to walk around talking about I'm saved, sanctified, filled with the Holy Ghost. You don't have to begin to lay claim to new titles and no. You'll feel me when I walk in the room. You'll know I'm there because something has changed in the atmosphere. You'll know God is working on me because I may get to a point where I am unrecognizable to you, especially when you're trying to see me through old eyes. No, you ought to desire in your heart to grow and evolve and become, become what you believe. Does that sound familiar? Oh, you're going to connect some dots in a minute. You as a disciple, you become what you believe. You lean into life. You understand as a disciple that you are the beloved of God and God's spirit rests on you and in you God finds favor. When you're a disciple, you understand that you are the dawn and the dark. When, when you're a disciple, you understand that this movement is bigger than you. When you're a disciple, you know in your heart that you are resilient. When you're a disciple, you know that you are a water walker, that you, that you, 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 you are always ready to do what God is calling you to do. 
when you are a disciple, you know this, that you are the embodiment of infinite possibility. When you are a disciple, you know that you are unstoppable. Those are all the pieces to who you are. You are a disciple, beloved. This is the journey that God has called you to. The journey of discipleship. Can you imagine? He wants you to walk the way of Peter and Andrew and James and John. That you're among that number. So you don't have to read about them and be in awe. You can look in the mirror and be amazed. That's who you are. And the world will know who you are. Not by you being the loudest in the room. Because the truth is the loud ones don't have much to say. But people know who you are. And they may not even be able to fully explain what they see and feel when they're around you. They'll just know something has shifted. And you got to want that, beloved. Something within you has the desire to be better every day than you were the day before. Be a disciple. Why? Jesus gave his life so that you and I could walk this way. Everything you've been growing up in church doing and reading is so that you could become a disciple. That is your life's work. Now, it doesn't mean you have a job and it doesn't mean you have a profession or a vocation. It means that what shapes all that you do is your discipleship. I'm a disciple who happens to be a pastor. You may be a disciple who happens to be a teacher. But your discipleship undergirds everything that you do. It influences all that you are. And what I'm asking for and what I hope to show in this year is what that means for you as you journey with the teachings of Jesus. And I want you to get to a point where you can say boldly and proudly and courageously, I am a disciple. When you get to a point where you can say that and know it in your heart that I am what Jesus wanted me to be, a disciple. Because here's what I know. When disciples get together and make up their mind that they're going to turn the world upside down, we get it done. Because disciples specialize in doing hard things. I am a disciple. And I pray during the course of this year 
many more of you join me. I don't care whether you're a member of 1 Corinthians. That doesn't matter to me. What matters is that I honor the assignment placed on my life to make disciples. And that is what we will spend this year doing. Do me a favor, stand on your feet. I want to do a special prayer. And if you feel led, you can come down. Maybe here tonight, and you are tired, tired of doing the same thing, but expecting a different outcome. Tired, having great aspirations and goals for your life, which you don't want to change at all. You cry out to God, God, use me. God, bless me. And then you start setting boundaries for how you want to be used. No. This is a moment where you get to this point in your life as we enter this year. And I said it last week. I said, any way you bless me. No, here it is. Any way you use me, God. Any way you use me. As long as you are glorified, any way you use me, I'll be satisfied. As long, God, as you get the glory out of my life, as long as other lives are transformed because they encountered me, any way you use me, I'll be satisfied. Come on, let's pray. God, thank you for this new day. Thank you for this new season, oh God, you're calling us to. God, the truth is, this world is desperate for people who take the teachings of the carpenter seriously. We need people who are rooted in love. God, we're tired of every day waking up to bad news. Hearing more stories of death, more stories of children dying and families being left unhoused. We're, we're tired, oh God, of how hate has become the common ethos for so many in this country. Just mad. Wake up every day mad and want you to be mad because they're mad. God, the world is ready for the Jesus movement. The truth is, oh God, we have so many churches. I, I once heard my pastor say, we have so many churches in our communities and sometimes so little power. Maybe that's the point. We have too many churches and not enough disciples. God, use us. Use us. To lead with love. Because love wins. Thank you. 
this year will be a year in which, oh God, we learn to lean into your presence and trust you with our lives. For we, we, we will be disciples. We love you, Lord. We honor you, God. And this is our prayer. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. We live, we love, we serve.